Hey gang, in honor of GDC, the Game Developers Conference, we're going to unleash this bonus round, which was originally intended uh, as a Patreon backer exclusive, but because of GDC, figuring why not? Let's let's give this to everybody. This is the uh, the <laughs> the bonus round secret conversation between myself and Alex Galoom, who was uh, our guest a couple of weeks back. Uh, this gets into the deep nerdetry of cloud architecture and all of that stuff. So uh, this one's for all you tech nerds out there, like like myself. Uh, and uh, yeah, the first question's a little long, but it sets up everything. And uh, if you haven't heard our full interview with Alex uh, talking about Heaven You, uh, click back a few episodes and you will find it. All right. And now for a little bonus round action. This one goes out to all the Patreon uh, backers. This is also like highly, highly technical. Uh, we're going to get there. So uh, I was mentioning to Alex that I am... I am like obsessed with the way the cloud streaming architecture works. And I'm really fascinated by the fact that the film industry and the XR industry and indeed this emergent XR performance, um, all of the innovation is happening at places like Epic with Unreal. Uh, you've got Unity who are getting increasingly interested in, uh, you know, they're not just games, but like they've, they're already in the film pipeline. They just bought Weta Digital for the love of God. Um, and then you have NVIDIA who are now like a top 10 tech stock, which I don't know how long that's been true. I've only started paying attention to the stock market again recently because how volatile it is. Uh, but here they are, uh, having been rebuffed in their attempt to buy ARM, uh, but nevertheless are like, you know, more valuable than Tencent, which is the, the Chinese gaming behemoth, which owns things like, or a big stake in things like Riot and is indeed invested in Epic. Um, and all of this stuff, those three companies, NVIDIA, uh, Epic and Unity are just, just they're the heart of the innovation here. And this going back and forth between things like the sort of stagecraft-like setups, uh, which started out as something that ILM was doing with Unreal. They're now moved into their own architecture. I don't, I don't have all the details there. I just know they moved on a little bit. But what I'm interested in is where are the sticking points in this system, because the cloud gaming stuff works shockingly well, and particularly the GeForce Now setups from NVIDIA are scary good. Like I mentioned to Alex, they, uh, when Cyberpunk came out two years ago, it looked better on my phone than it did on my PC because I was running it, you know, because my phone's a better monitor than my PC is, and that was thanks to GeForce Now. And you're running this thing off of that, that tech stack. Where are the sticking points? Where, what's the, yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's a wonderful question, Noah. And uh, the biggest one right now is how this technology can play nicely in the, uh, the Facebook meta of Oculus Sandbox. Because when you try mm. to make an experience like this run on um, one of these Quest headsets, we'll just call it Quest, then you need to make sure you're jumping through all the right hoops that they want you to jump through. Um, and for anyone who has the app on their quest called Virtual Desktop by uh, Guy Godin, I'm not sure how to pronounce his last name, you know, he had to deal with all these, these issues with trying to allow people to stream desktop VR to their mobile headset. Oculus just wouldn't allow it for a while. And he had to have like, here's the official version on the store. And then here's the version that you need to uh, sideload from uh, SideQuest. And it was kind of a mess. And eventually once um, Meta, decided to let 
people stream using Airlink, which was their first party solution, they decided to let Guy use his, and then he no longer was a second class citizen. But you'll notice that Facebook really wanted to have their own version first before anyone was properly competing. So right now, if someone wants to do a heaven you show or, or use NVIDIA Cloud XR in any capacity, um, you need to A, create a developer account, uh, B, <laughs> enable developer mode, C, go and um, create an app that you are then going to distribute either as a standalone APK or um, through SideQuest. Uh, and then you have to put it on the headset and through CloudXR, you need to actually put a text file on a headset that tells, uh, by default, it would just be the IP address of the virtual machine you're connecting to. Um, in the case of having you, we have like a little invite token, but the point is there's all this friction there. And NVIDIA has tried to negotiate with uh, with the fine folks over there at Meta to make this easier, to make this simpler. And um, Meta's kind of taking this hard line of like, well, you know, if people are logging into machines that they don't have control over, then who knows what's going on over there? So they're, they're kind right. of phrasing it as a safety concern. So right now, the way that we've been getting past this, which is kind of a funny little hack, is actually... Um, using virtual desktop now, it's injecting someone's Oculus username into the VM that they're booting up. So it's now, quote unquote, their machine. And then they can use the virtual desktop app, which is first party and, and directly in the, or not, it's not first party, but it's directly there in the, in the Oculus store. And that makes things a little bit simpler. But mm -hmm. our biggest desire, and there's a lot of companies who are, are itching. And, and that's, and that's is, just to yeah. be clear, that virtual desktop trick, that, is that something that the performer is doing? Or is that something that the end user is doing? Uh, either one can be doing that. Yeah, so the, the idea would be that you have a virtual machine that needs that little injection of like, what's your username? So that way, right. when you open up virtual desktop, that VM shows up as um, one of your computers and then you can right. get in that Cause, way. Because um, from, yeah. from the performer creator side or the producer side, look, friction, friction is okay when you're a producer, right? Like right. you often choose friction in order to lower cost, right? You know, hey, mm -hmm. this could be a little harder, but it's going to be a lot cheaper for us to pull something off. Right. Um, it's when you're delivering to the audience. And and this is true no matter whether we're delivering something in VR or Zoom shows or whatever. Like the more friction there is for the audience's sake, um, the, the faster they're going to bounce off. Yep. Uh, or they're going to have such so much friction that they're not going to recommend the experience. Um, and like honestly, like, you know. <laughs> If it isn't one click and I'm there, then that is 99% of the audience for something is just not going to do it. Mm -hmm. Like if it's if it's an online thing, uh, they just can't, can't be rushed. So um, the, the point you're pointing out here about how much friction Meta is putting into the, the setup, uh, this is this is really huge, and you can understand how it's advantageous for them to try to hold the keys here. But what a but what a difficult thing for anyone who's trying to make stuff. Yeah, and HTC has made it very clear that they're perfectly happy to allow apps onto their store that um, use cloud streaming, but that's such a smaller market size. It's not the consumer market size because those headsets are $1,000 more than a Quest is. Oh, yeah. And and the irony being that you know when, we, when Apple finally releases something, it will be expensive and it will also be uh, inaccessible in that way. <laughs> right, walled garden, yep. Yeah, so true. yeah.
Um, like, so the, the real solution, though, at least for now, and, and I'm not the first person to suggest this, but a lot of us really want the equivalent of, of a Mozilla Hubs experience, the same stuff that we were all doing for Onboard XR, uh, which is really nice because you go to a browser link and then you say, I'm going to be on my web browser or I'm going to be in VR. We want that, but as uh, an NVIDIA Cloud XR solution where you're going into a browser link and then connecting to a powerful virtual machine in the cloud and getting uh, a fidelity of experience that goes far beyond what you're getting in that browser. Because Mozilla Hubs is a little bit unstable, <laughs> to put it frankly. And part of that has to do with the fact that they're trying to service so many different specs for different kinds of hardware because it needs to render locally on your phone, on your Quest, on your uh, Valve Index. And that mm -hmm. means that there's a lot more room for things to go wrong. So one of the benefits of, of working on the cloud is it's like developing for a PlayStation 5 in that if you know exactly what the specs are of a PlayStation 5, then you can be very consistent about how you are setting up features. And, uh, and if there's bugs or crashes, it's going to be very easy to pinpoint um, how to reproduce it and what to do to stop it compared to you know someone out in Omaha, who's like, hey, uh, this keeps crashing to my computer. And you find out like, oh, it's just because their hard drive is full or they've got a, a really old graphics card. So those edge cases start to disappear. And that yeah. does a lot for streamlining what an experience is like. I mean, that's why it's so the last mile internet infrastructure, like the more that can be uplifted, uh, the, the more that pixel streaming, for whatever reason we're doing pixel streaming, can be seamless. Um, I mean, look, I've, I've watched this since the early days of dial-up on video games, and when I remember, like, in the mid-aughts, the discussion around, you know, the netcode for fighting games, like, basically just, you know, journalists and pundits being like, well, we're never going to get the netcode good enough for someone to play Street Fighter 2, you know, across the internet. <laughs> and now, <laughs> like, you know... Surprise. Now lag time matters in like matches, etc. But we've come so far. Like it may not be like the highest level of competition may not be able to happen, you know, with pixel streaming games. But if you're just trying to enjoy a game, my goodness. Yeah, and when you compare like what we can do now with a, a, a high fidelity performance capture experience in VR or in a browser, the level of interactivity, even with a little bit of latency, is pretty incredible, especially if you compare it to something like a, like a Fortnite live concert, which looks incredible, but it's it's asynchronously live. Like it's live for all the audience members there together, but the actual uh, performer you're seeing that was recorded months ago and it's gone through a ton of post-processing. So you never really feel like you are engaging with the performer um, in a way that the technologies now actually can allow you to do. And that's one of the things that's fascinating about the way all of this is advancing. Because if you look at the kind of work that's being done over at ILM and, and over you know, with Epic or whatever their branded version of, of Stagecraft is now, I'm sure they've got right yeah. um, You know, the, the dream there for those filmmakers is to be doing the practical and the digital in real time together and modifying things, uh, you know, on the fly and adapting. So you, you watch those documentaries, by the way, they make The Mandalorian, for instance, and you see they're behaving a lot more like the way a theater troupe does because yeah. they've got all the tools to play in the space and rethink shot and, you know it's not just about rethinking shot composition qua rethinking shot composition but it can be looking at the way 
the actors are relating to each other. The actors are relating to the set and they can modify things in the special effects in real time. And also when the actors have something to work off of that is visual, that is close to final pixel, um, there's an uncanny valley effect, I think, also to actual performance. And you can see the difference between the kind of acting you get out of people who are performing in these volume environments versus the kind of performances we were getting 25 years ago off of people on a green screen performing to a tennis ball being held on a stick. Absolutely. Right. And there's a just, really wonderful, oh, yeah, go ahead. No, you please. <laughs> I was You're the guest. I just, just want to knock. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there's a, a wonderful, just a yes and everything you're saying. There's a wonderful actual example of using these giant LED walls um, in theater context isn't quite the right word, but but a stunt show. Um, last mm. July, uh, I, I skipped out. Well, I, I spoke at the conference I was supposed to speak at, but then I skipped out on a lot of it to go to uh, Universal Studios with my brother. And we went to the Bourne Stuntacular based on the, the Bourne series with Matt Damon and Jeremy Renner. And it was this incredible live show on a, on a theatrical stage with these giant LED walls that did such an incredible job of mixing and matching um, theatrical techniques and film techniques because the LED walls could change what was on them in a moment's notice. So you actually started to have the equivalent of cuts the way film would, but on stage and where an actor would disappear, they'd go into blackness for uh, half a second and they'd be falling and then they'd reappear in the next scene. And then they just go right into this new environment in, in Marrakesh or whatever. Um, but also the way that, that those LED walls started to work with um, practical props. There was a part with like, there's a, a fight on a, a bell tower. And so they actually had like the physical bell tower on stage, on wheels, rotating um, on the stage while everyone's fighting and the LED walls are like reflecting the parallax. And I love seeing that kind of merging of, of different technologies and, and really, you know, traditional um, um, old school style theater techniques, like just like, oh, wow. where are so, we going to put the light? <laughs> yeah. So they had, so they, they, correct me if I'm wrong here, because I haven't seen the show, I'm just imagining. So you've got a wagon on stage and that wagon is the top of the bell tower and the, the stunt performers are stunt performing on that tower. Yeah. And then the video wall, as they're rotating the bell tower, the background is rotating the way it would in a camera shot. So you're exactly. getting the full scene as if you it's just being like a helicopter going around. You got it. Yeah, that was it. It was oh it was God. really thrilling. <laughs> That's fantastic. That's fantastic. Yeah. You know, well, and we know that some of those kind of walls, like we've seen, like some of that stuff is being incorporated into like theme park attractions and into you know certain uh, luxury star cruisers being built in uh, swamps currently. <laughs> um, <laughs> Like we, we know, we, we know, you know, all this stuff is being deployed. Yeah, I um, I, I have this is the kind of stuff that gives me hope, you know, particularly because I think of someone who is getting started or getting into mid career right now, and whether they're aiming themselves towards XR or they're aiming themselves towards games or they're aiming themselves towards live immersive or towards film it's almost like if you know your way around unreal you're going to be okay yeah like well that's almost like the best advice i could give anybody right now and i wish i could give it to myself but i have no aptitude for this stuff <laughs> <laughs> 
then you find you find your teammates and you find a, a, a nice collection of different skills and interests. Yeah. Yeah. One Anything thing I'm the... really excited. Oh, oh yeah. Go ahead. Sorry, we're getting no, no, like you, just please, please, no you, you. Seriously. <laughs> just I I can't wait for and I'd be thrilled if if Heaven used the first um, platform to do this kind of thing, but I can't wait for a kind of hybrid live show where you have a physical venue with the performers on stage, um, but they're all wearing like accent suits or something like that under their actual costumes. And you're getting this real time translation of what is happening on the physical stage into a virtual environment. And then you start to find ways to take advantage of the fact that the virtual audience isn't bound by physics and they don't need to be stuck there on the ground and they can fly around to the environment. And in the case of something like Scrooge's Ghost Encounter, you know, those audience members start to play a role as like additional ghosts that are haunting Scrooge. And then you start to have this interaction between these different audiences, um, a virtual audience and a physical audience and the virtual performers and the physical performers. You can start to bring in actors who are in different theaters across the world. Um, you know, imagine like a, a Geffen Playhouse doing a co-production with, with the RSC um, where you could be in both those venues at the same time. And we're starting to use these technologies to start to um, bring together space and time and have these really one of a kind sorts of performances that just uh, no one is, is quite doing yet, but we're right on the cusp of it. Yeah. I mean, I think there's the idea of letting like people in, you know, the virtual space play with the people in the meat space. Like, I love that. Um, I, I do think that, the, you know, funny thing is like the, the main barrier gets back to like the physical spaces, right? Like I could totally imagine, you know, like, a an addition of say sleep no more where the virtual audience got to play around with people live in the kitchen uh if there was a you know something that could you know that would make sense to enhance the show that way but on the flip side to it you know you still need that physical space and mm -hmm. that's that's the hardest thing to come by um you know for for so many reasons, you know, real estate is always going to be at a premium. Um, and the places where you have the density to pull off this kind of work, real estate is really at a premium. Um, it's just like catch-22. I mean, when we started out here in LA, and this was before the streaming boom, you know, we looked around and we said, this is the perfect place for there to be, you know, a live immersive renaissance because there's just space. It's cheap compared to everywhere else and that is so not true anymore and particularly the types of spaces that people work in um all of them are coveted by film production and all of the sound stages are working at beyond capacity so um but, but we do have you know these stagecraft style setups and i just i, I do think about you know in a world in a world Mm -hmm. where that technology is readily available and people are popping up these facilities, you know, not just in the outskirts of LA and in LA proper and in places like Nashville where there's a big media scene uh, or Austin, but also, you know, in Arizona, you know, Nebraska, you know, in all over Canada. We obviously already got it up in like you know, Toronto and Vancouver, like that goes without saying. But like in other spaces where 
you know, much in the same way that like, you know, every, every city, every, every mid-level market has a television station and it has a television studio. Well, suddenly it's going to have one of these stagecraft style facilities you know, 15 years from now. And what could those facilities be being used for when they're not you know, shooting? Uh, and, it, and the answer is like some really kick-ass immersive stuff if we put our cards right. Yeah, and, and what you're hitting on as well, because there's such a, a premium put on these spaces and, and the time you take in them, that it doesn't necessarily need to be like a six-month run using those spaces. It could be a limited, you know, one-week or two-week run, but then you're getting maybe photogrammetry scans of like all the sets and everything, and you start to get all these digital assets, digital twins of everything in the show. And then maybe after the physical run is is done, there's a way for that show to continue and live on in a virtual form. Uh, and if not, then at least you have an archive. You have some way to just say like, here's this incredible thing that happened live. We have all the motion capture data, all the audio data. We know everything the audiences were doing during this. And isn't it cool to just uh, pop into this, this live recording a la the invention of morel and feel like you are just um part of this incredible thing that happened uh one year ago five years ago 20 years ago uh as you start to think about how this becomes a really incredible archive of, of live experiences oh yeah i mean i was watching one of those like uh you know previously recorded but like you know broadcasts of uh of the national theater of the the barbicans um hamlet um, yeah. I didn't get around to seeing like the, the Frankenstein where, where like uh, Cumberbatch and, and uh, yeah the two Frankenstein's yeah, or yeah, the two yeah, uh, the were, two Holmeses yeah yeah where they were they were, they were switching off right um, but I, I did get to see Cumberbatch's Hamlet and it was I I was thinking about how incredible it would be to get some volumetric cameras going on to capture that that experience so that you weren't dependent upon the director deciding that now they wanted to close up on the actor, but you would just be free to roam around. So if you wanted to see like an actor's face that's like covered in snot because of the, you know, that's how deep into the emotion they were, uh, you could choose that. Or you could like stand at a remove and just like be there in the space like you were a ghost. Um, and we're, we're still far away from that because the volumetric cameras haven't been allowed to go there. They got some of that technology got snapped up and put away and isn't being advanced. Uh, but this idea of where we'll have these records of these experiences and can go back to them, I think is, I think that's really huge. Yeah, I like the idea that kind of in the spirit of the the Beatles documentary that just came out, Get Back, that we could at mm. least begin to capture these elements. And maybe they don't see the light of day for a while because of rights issues, but the, the fact that they could someday is is very exciting. Yeah. Well, Alex, I got to bounce, but this was absolutely excellent, and I'm glad we glad we uh, took a little bonus time. So. Yeah, this is wonderful. Thank you so much, Noah. I, I really enjoyed this.